everyone and welcome to Better Done Than Perfect, a show for SaaS founders and product people. In this season, we talk about email automation and our guest today is the awesome Jason Resnick, an email automation and marketing consultant. And we're going to talk about segmentation, lead scoring and everything along those lines. This show is brought to you by Userlist, the best way for SaaS founders to send onboarding emails, segment your users based on events, and see where your customers get stuck in the product. Start your free trial today at userlist.com. Hi, Jason. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm excited for this. We're very excited to have you as a guest and... uh... It's a unique opportunity to get into your brain and see how you work behind the scenes. <laughs> oh, man, I don't know if anybody wants that. <laughs> Tell us what you do, what kind of customers you work with, and what's your background story? Sure. As you said, I'm an email marketing and automation expert. My company, NurtureKit, helps online coaches, digital course creators, people who sell programs, maybe in live event, that sort of thing, be better with email. And I, I have a phrase that when you treat your email list like humans, amazing transformations happen. And that's what I try to help my clients do is instead of just shooting off and pushing that send button over and over and over and over again, maybe your subscribers want a better experience. And how do we make that better experience from an email perspective, but also tie that into the website where somebody is today is not where they're going to be three weeks from now. And if they're seeing the same stuff on your website, are they going to convert? Maybe, but maybe we can push them further along into a specific conversion. I am a recovering web developer. (laughs) I grew up, my career started as a web developer in the late 90s. I always flocked towards e-commerce, the human aspect and the human behavior of, you know, pre-Amazon days just to get somebody to put a credit card in the website was just an interesting problem to me. I minored in psychology in college, but I'm very left brain. I'm very data-driven, mathematical, that sort of area. However, we're all humans. And so humans use the internet. So how do we make that experience better? And as a web developer, there were a lot of problems that we would need to solve creatively and One of the things that evolved nicely over the years was that email became better. Email was always great uh, as a tool for business. However, what we experienced on the website sometimes didn't match up with what we experienced in the inbox. And I would say, you know, Infusionsoft probably was the first of these sort of ESPs that would come through and start to marry those two together. However, my experience was Drip was the first one that I used where we started to use the data inside of Drip and then present that on the website to that individual to create that better experience. And I use, my clients use Drip, ConvertKit and ActiveCampaign for the most part. And that's what I help them do essentially and ultimately grow their business so that they keep their sanity when it comes to email. If I say that your ideal client is someone who has, uh, you know, thousands of people on their email list, but 
only sends a weekly broadcast to them. Is that correct? Yeah, that's usually how somebody comes to me in the first place. And then whether it's one-off projects that help them get further down the road or working on a retainer basis where we do long-term strategy and implementation, that would be the first. The second big percentage of my clients are those that have started with automation in the e-commerce space, as well as even just in the digital product space, part abandonment. If they started with this sort of low-hanging fruit kind of automation, they come to me and say, okay, now that we have these bits and pieces in place, how do we optimize those pieces, but then also take it to the next level? And what does that next level look like? Because now we have the the traffic coming in, they may be running ads, they're growing that foundation, that engine is there where they're bringing in the traffic, they're getting conversions, but they really want to optimize and grow and scale to that next level. Before we dive into the main topic, which is segmentation and lead scoring and everything, I want to differentiate that there is email a marketing list and customer email. So everything that happens before the signup, because we're talking about SaaS here, and everything that happens after the customer joins. So today we're going to talk about this giant pool of people who are your leads and how to nurture them and present the right opportunities in front of them, their inbox. Would that be correct? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think even still, even if you have a customer, you still need to market to them, especially in the SaaS world, right? Like, and probably you too, there are plenty of monthly subscriptions where I might not use it for a month or two. And then I'm like, okay, I totally forgot that I had that. Uh, let me go cancel that, right? You want to re-engage your customers. Your customers are already paying you. And so you want to, in the month to month kind of game, you, you sort of have to prove that value to them time and time again. So while we're talking more about maybe the front end subscriber, non-customer, I still think it's very important to market to your existing customers, not only to, to keep them as customers, but maybe upsell them along the way. Just 30 minutes ago before our call, I switched to an annual subscription with our webinar software, Livestorm, which I love. We've been using it for half a year or something. And they just totally sold me with a, you know, summer sales campaign. Mm-hmm. Classic, super yeah. simple, but it uh, was very timely and we did it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I've, I've done that plenty of times too, backup software, you know, things that like we just pay on a monthly basis. Okay. Yeah. I'll pay, you know, send me an email. I'll click that buy button. I'll, I'd much rather save a couple of percentage points on the monthly versus annual. It just makes sense. And so Yes, we want to concentrate on bringing in new customers, but remember that your customers are already paying you and the hardest dollar to make is that first. And so more likely those those customers will convert again. Talking about segments and lead scoring, chicken or the egg, what comes first? Do you use a lead score to define segments or do you use segments to define lead score? That's a great question. In thinking about it, It has to, for me, I feel like I have to know what the segments are. Segmentation is such a big, broad stroke here, right? The idea with segments when it comes to lead scoring is is defining what, what makes a lead, a qualified lead, and then a hot lead, right? And so if you take those, at least at a basic, those three steps, 
trying to figure out what segment of your lead, uh, what indicators make that lead fall into each of those segments. And so, you know, qualified lead just means that maybe somebody has a budget on something. Okay. That doesn't mean that they're hot lead. They just, they qualified, right? But a hot lead could be somebody that has engaged with your list over the past 10 days. Maybe you're sending daily emails or something and they're clicking and opening on everything, but they've also checked out a few key pages on your website too. So they become a hot lead. Now, what do you do with that? Right. And so I think you have to determine what buckets people sit in so that then you can properly apply a matrix or lead scoring matrix on top of that, that makes sense. Because if you just say a click is one point, visited the pricing page is two points, and then you know something else, like if they put something into their cart and they're going to buy is five points, that's great. That's great as a starting point. But how do we get better and how do we market to them better with maybe some specific key pages along the way that they might visit as a blog post or as a podcast or something else um, where we know, you know, did they attend a training, a live training, you know, those sort of things we might want to integrate in a, in a better way to become from that lead to a qualified lead to a hot lead. Lead, qualified lead and hot lead. Are these segments? Yeah, they can be. I feel like that is a segment, right? Like segments <laughs> can also be demographic and, and that sort of thing too. And I think that has a, has a play in it also, but those can also play into essentially what pipeline segments, right? So it's the lead, the, the qualified lead and hot lead. If somebody has a budget, that's a demographic segment, right? If they are, you know, if I'm, if I'm keying in on founders, right? Versus, you know, an HR person, right? So how does that play into the lead scoring as well? If, if, they're, if my customers are more founders, but you're an HR title, okay, well, founders five points, let's say the HR title is just, it's two because they might have influence over the founder, right? So all of those sort of demographic help, I think that's more personalization rather than full on, hey, this is what can drive the automation. I think we need to zoom out and define what segments are because there is first there is confusion between segments and I don't know groups. It's called different in different software, but segments are dynamic. You set conditions and people join them and leave them automatically, while groups, for example, could be hard set based on certain things, right? Yes. At least it was that way. In early days in MailChimp, <laughs> in <laughs> UserList, for example, we have segments. They're only dynamic, and that's all we have. And uh, coming from this customer email background, in customer email segments would be very likely matching your life cycle stages, such as trials, expiring trials, paying customers, advanced customers. These are like bulletproof segments that every SaaS needs. In marketing email, what would be those classic segments? Is it about their stage or... What is yeah, it? yeah. I mean, I think I think for the most part, in non-customer segments, those those bulletproofs are the qualified versus hot. Mm -hmm. um, I think that those any business SaaS otherwise, I think that those are those are. However, they can move a lot faster. Like you said, it's dynamic, right? And so, you know, for me, I it's funny you, you mentioned groups. I think of segments as 
groups that are defined by a set criteria, right? And so that criteria could be anything, really. It could be how many people have purchased from me over the course of, the, of my business. <laughs> or it could be how many people are currently getting my lead magnet sequence, right? So that ebbs and flows as well. So I feel that the bulletproof marketing non-customer segments would be that hot lead, that qualified lead, but also even just newcomer, right? Like you want to figure out when they first come to you, how much do they know about you? How much do they know about themselves? You want to really just dig in a little deeper on that new person and try to gather up as much information as you possibly can to move them into the proper segment that they belong in or kind of turn them away and say, yeah, it's great that you're here. We have a weekly blog post and you can go ahead and read that or unsubscribe because this really isn't the product for you. So that's what I would do as far as those three segments go. What's the primary purpose of having segments? Because one comes to mind is uh, you set the conditions once in your you know, segments area, and then you just juggle these throughout the app when you set up different automations without thinking what particular condition that entails. Is that the core purpose or is it to understand the structure of your user base? What's the goal of having segments? I think the goal is to get somebody to ultimately what, what it is that you want them to do. What is the conversion mm -hmm. point? Mm -hmm. right? Is it to get them to a trial? Is it to, to get them to buy? Is it to get them to buy annually versus mm -hmm. monthly? Whatever those key conversion points are, that's, I always say you got to work backwards, right? So if you understand your customer, let's figure out who that person is and then figure out all the steps that they took to become a customer, right? And so same thing with segments is if that conversion point is to convert somebody from a trial to a customer, then what is it that takes that? What is that path that makes them that, right? And so you can have these micro segments along the way if you want to really get very granular, but is it specific, you know, if it's a 14-day trial, what specific points in an app do they need to hit that they say, yes, this is something that I actually want to pay for. So we need to get them to that point. And so I would always look to the conversion point and then find out back, back off of that to the individual segments. Um, and then understand, like the segments could be, is more of just, you think about it, it's like a pipeline, right? Like these are stages at which we want somebody to get to that next level with us. And what is that next level? that that's on the business to define so a group of people in a segment are where our goal is to prime them for that conversion yes. with content so once people join a segment we start our automations yes mm -hmm. awesome tell us more about lead scoring and how is that implemented programmatically because not every piece of software has that right not every piece of software has that you know convertkit doesn't have any sort of lead scoring out of the box uh, Drip has lead scoring, Active Campaign has a CRM. You know, there are ways in automation platforms, whether it is ConvertKit, for example, lead scoring, they have the ability to store data in custom fields, right? And so lead scoring is nothing more than a tally, right? Like, hey, somebody hits a score of 100, they're a hot lead or whatever, right? Like whatever that threshold is for you. So it's a matter of, I always say, take the tech out from it for a minute. 
with the business and say, okay, what are these conversion points that we want them to hit? And then like from a lead scoring perspective, what's the actions that somebody takes to get to these, right? Is it clicking on a link? Is it attending a webinar? Is it, you know, getting to a specific point in the app, right? Like, do they connect, you know, Stripe to their app? Now, if they connect the Stripe to that app, that's a key point that says, okay, boom, they've moved up a level, right? So figuring out what these particular things are happening, when you connect that back to your ESP, it, it's a matter of just storing that data somewhere and having an automation on the, the, the back end of that that kind of just says, okay, when that field changes, what is that field? What's that value of that field? And if that value of that field goes above that threshold, then what do we do with that trigger off the other automation? Not then just keep going, right? Is it typically just one call to action that we drive the entire segment to? Or could there be many things that, you know, different formats and things that can take them to the next level? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it could it depends on the business, right? And how Look, the, the one thing that I always say is if we can keep things simple, it's going to be most effective, right? One, from an effective point that somebody can actually understand what's going on right? when you look at the automations. But two, usually that's what you need to actually start and lay that groundwork out. So I would make it as linear as possible. If you start having a lot of offshoots and things like that, then it becomes like, okay. How many if-thens can I put into this automation that drive people down into wherever I want them to go, right? So I would, I would try to keep it as linear as possible, but as you mature and evolve, especially with lead scoring, you're just going to start to see that it could be preference-based, like we were talking about with demographics, that more visual people versus people that read are going to become customers. So if they are visual and they're watching our video library and training and things of that nature, maybe we level up that game a little bit, right? Maybe we say, okay, that they're, they're getting more points on the lead scoring side than the person that's just reading our blog, right? And so you can certainly add that layer of complexity there, but I always, most people that I work with when they first come to me, they don't even have, what questions do I ask? How do I, you know, I kind of know who my customer is, but what questions can I ask in a way that makes sense that I can actually get that data and use it? When you're doing marketing for, for somebody who does info products, they have multiple offerings, samples, different things you can purchase in the product line when you can go from small purchases to bigger ones. With SaaS, it's a little bit intimidating because they're either in or out. Like It's like zero to one, and it's hard. What other things that are invisible that can SaaS founders offer before converting the person into a user? That's a great question. I mean, it could be a behind-the-scenes type video, right? Like, what? Because I, I mean, speaking from my own experience, there's sometimes, like, I'll find a a product that I would love, like maybe I could use this for my business, but then I'm like from the front, <laughs> like I would only be using a small portion of it. And I'm like, maybe it's just not worth it for me, but I'll hang on their email list and I'll 
you know, I'll read the blogs and maybe something will trigger. If there's a timing mechanism where you know that when somebody comes on your list, let's say within 30 days, they sign up for a trial. If somebody exceeds that 30 day, then it might be an automation that you could kind of invite somebody in further. Um, before we hopped on, I talked about this salesperson campaign. You could use this very similar campaign in this way, right? Because if you know the, the time to purchase of someone and somebody exceeds that, but they're still hanging around, you kind of want to embrace them a little bit and find out why they're here still. Right? Like if it's in or out, what sort of objections do you have or what questions do you have that I can help you with to make that decision or help you make that decision, right? And so that salesperson campaign is kind of like that person that walks up to you into the store after you've been looking at something for 15 minutes and you see you know, the brochure, the pamphlet uh, on the TV and you're just like, okay, this is great. And then salesperson comes up and says, you have any questions? Yeah, well, I've seen these really cool TVs that seem to like light up the room based around the TV, like as the movie changes and stuff like that, right? How do I get that? And the salesperson's like, oh, well, that's not part of the TV. That's totally different, right? <laughs> so but that's, that's sort of what that salesperson campaign can do is kind of be specific to that individual. And if somebody is on your list for a period of time that exceeds what you would normally have as an acceptable level, that salesperson campaign could do wonders for one brand recognition, but two, just, oh, this is totally out of left field. I would have never thought somebody would have had this question and I could solve that question and then they could be in or out, right? Obviously you want them in, but it could help them make that decision faster. So there is some regular email marketing buzz, you know, happening in, in the list. And then you take somebody out of that and put them in a salesperson, a little sales campaign that mm -hmm. can promote something more actively. Let's talk about that buzz. <laughs> what does it look like? It can be all broadcast because it's not sustainable. So what, what is that composed of? Yeah, I like to look at that as more of two things. It's nurturing, but it's also segmentation. So I'm going to try to learn as much of that and new subscriber as possible. So Let's just say they came off of a lead magnet. So you deliver the lead magnet and hand them off, right? A lot of people just hand it off. Okay, now you're on my weekly newsletter. Every Tuesday, you're going to get this thing. I would say then inject a sequence into that that has some of your best content. It also talks about how your solution, your app, solves problems that they have that that your customers have but also ask questions see where that person is at any business has people coming in and out of it at different levels and so are they a newbie are they advanced so on and so forth if you could start to isolate that then you could change the content accordingly right so for example if if, <laughs> if i get pitched by an esp and they're sending me content on how to create an email. I'm going to say, okay, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> um, you know, but if they start to tell me a little bit more about the inner workings of how, what stats they collect, 
and how I can see that and how I can break them down, okay, that's going to be a little bit more interesting to me, right? So that level, if you can identify that, and you can usually just ask, like, depending on whatever your business is, let's just take example that TV, ask the person, what size room is this going in? If I have a studio apartment, I don't want a TV that's going to be 100 inches. There's no way I can fit that in there. But if I have a five-bedroom house, okay, maybe bigger TVs are, are, are a thing for me, right? And so that's a level at which you can ask that question. And so that nurture sequence that goes off of the, the to the brand new people off of the back of a lead magnet can then be super valuable because you're putting your best foot forward through the content. You're also telling them about how you can solve their problems but also gather up information specifically on them so that you can then properly bring them in to the various segments that you, you define. We've asked previous guests on the show whether like during those nurture sequences, should you hold off and not send them your regular timed news? Basically the nurture is all they get when they join the list. So, and I hate to say it, but it depends. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> but for the most part, I would leave them just getting that. However, I always build into any automation that I make a short circuit. So there could be, I mean, we had a pandemic, right? <laughs> like there could be something that's totally out of our control that, well, okay, maybe these emails aren't as timely as, you know, maybe they're not as relevant, right? And it could be insensitive or it could be whatever, right? So mm -hmm. I always build these shortcuts that kind of sh short that, but then be able to reinsert them to pick up where they left off, right? And so I am of the mindset that 90% of the time you leave them in there because that's something that you can control and it's a conversation, right? You're getting to know them, they're getting to know you. If you inject some other email that comes in let's say the third email comes in and it's like my latest blog post is talking about something that's completely out of left field with what I've received for the first couple of emails, then it's confusing and the messaging gets lost. And, and then the fourth email is back say, referencing the last email. And then they're like, well, that last email was this other thing. They don't know that they're in a sequence, right? But you want to be able to make sure that the messaging is clear and the simpler it is, the better it is. Let's say we are producing a podcast. And at the moment, is that sim it's as simple as, you know, sending out new episodes to everybody. And that's uh, ridiculously bad. But at the same time, you do have this new content that you want to let people know about. What's the alternative? How do you surface those episodes and, uh, and keep all what we discussed about in place? I like that two ways. One is through the PS of basically after the signature, you can have some sort of dynamic area in your emails, which kind of combine into the second thing, but it's a PS that can promote maybe what's going on in your business at this point in time, the podcast, the weekly blog post, whatever it is, your YouTube channel, whatever, right? Use that PS because it's like somebody made it they got the content and then it's, oh, by the way, we have this other thing, right? It's not in context with the story that you're trying to craft for them to get from point A to point B, but it's allowing you to share that new thing. 
The second thing is snippets. I, I have this thing where I call a live snippet, right? And so I have a couple of clients that they run regularly monthly live trainings, right? Sometimes it's behind the scenes. Sometimes it's a joint venture with somebody, things of that nature. But they want everybody to know that this thing exists. So we craft the content for the welcome sequences and the evergreen sequences in a way where there's a spot in there where we can inject that, right? So we basically craft the story around the live sequence, but then the live sequence is in there. You know, it could be just a small little transitional sentence to say, and if you want a little bit more on this, and then the live sequence exists, right? It's sort of like a variable inside of the content, if you will. Um, so those are the two ways that I would handle that sort of scenario if that's something that you want to do. Now, it might only be a five-day sequence. And is something going to come up within that five days that's so important that you really want that person to do, to know about? Okay, maybe, but maybe not too. And then maybe you don't need that layer of complexity in there. So the uh, typical nurture sequence is relatively short, and then they exit that automation and join everybody else and start getting the live stuff. It can be. I mean, look, I have clients that have year-long nurture sequences. They're just like, I've written a whole bunch of stuff and this is the best. And I've been in business long enough that I know that I don't really want to write weekly emails. So that's fine too. And that's where maybe they're not on that constant content hamster wheel, so to speak, where they have that regular content and a longer nurture sequence is just fine for that. I just helped one the other day, actually, where he had 156 weeks worth of email. I'm like, holy cow, that's all that's three, <laughs> three years. years. I'm like, geez. Right? It's and intentional. So, it's exactly three years. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, that's that's insane. I go, okay. So what we did was build him PSs for offers that and you know, he sells several different small courses and then a larger course, a flagship course, that sort of thing. But we built in that kind of mechanism for PSs where he can just kind of go in to his account and just change up the PS and that PS will go on every fourth email, right? And so that's sort of another way that you could do it where you don't have a short nurture sequence, but you have a longer nurture sequence and that's where that PS would work in. It depends yep. really on the business needs, I would say. And I hate that answer, but it, it does does fall into that. That solution with the snippet variables slash PS or something that you insert has come up here already. And it's great because it's not on the surface. Like It's not a hard as a trick, but it's, it's really a great way to marry your constant content, content permanent content with like all those news that we want to surface. That's great. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's something that, I mean, as a developer, it's a variable. And, you know, back back before these content snippets were actually like in UI, I'd build these out in, in the template. And I would just tell my clients like, hey, just go into this part. Don't mess with the code, but to go into this part, you can change the text here. And as a developer, it's just a variable. I'm injecting a variable into a piece of content essentially, and just displaying it. It's super yep, easy. We have uh, snippets and user lists too. Oh, our promoted use case for that would be intro, signatures, any other reusable mm -hmm. blocks. But 
dynamic content. Yay. Yeah, <laughs> really. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> di- I, and that's what I've used it for, for the most part. And signatures and stuff for me are like, that. that's great. Put that into the template. That's never really going to change much unless you have a team or something of that nature. And then, okay, that makes sense. But if it's just the, the one person that's going to be sending out the email, put that into the template. Use snippets in a way that's more variableized and dynamic to live trainings, to you know, even offers, maybe your Black Friday sale, those sort of things. As we're wrapping up today's episode, uh, what would be one do and one don't for people who run email marketing lists? So one do is to absolutely engage the list. Ask them to reply to things. Ask them what challenges they have. Ask them questions that you know you can answer and answer them. <laughs> there are many times. <laughs> that comes un- with that promise, right? <laughs> right. The thing is, though, it's, it's so, it entrenches like that brand awareness and it makes that other person feel like they just didn't reply into the void. Right? If you can answer something within 24 hours, 48 hours or something, answer it. But off of the back of that, the, the do is when you know these people, Look in your email list, see who's paying attention to you. See, you know, even if you don't have any lead scoring or any of these sort of things that we talked about in place, just go into the last 10 emails that you sent. See how many of those people are the same that opened it, clicked on it. Maybe if your application handles reply tracking, you know, don't send it to a no reply. I mean, if you're sending, <laughs> if you're sending emails out from a no reply that aren't a receipt or some transactional email, reassess that. <laughs> then you're a Bank of America. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, even, oh man, don't get me started on those kind of industries, but it is just one of those things that like, just look at who, who you've got that are engaged in the last 10 and not for nothing, send an offer to them. Right. I, you know, I always, I, I do this once a year on my list. I just arbitrarily take a day and I've suggested it to other, I mean, this works great in the e-commerce space. Hey, notice that you've opened up our last 10 emails. Awesome. Use last 10 at checkout and you get 10% off, right? And that's just somebody going in. Like you don't even need an automation. It could be just, you know, a random Tuesday and say, okay, we've sent 10 emails. Let me just see who overlaps here. And you spreadsheet magic that and boom, you send out an email. Um, and you make sales off of that. Now, the... The don't, I mean, I kind of mixed those two there, but the don't is don't just bludgeon people over the head with the sales. And what I mean by that is, and with the end of the year coming, we're all going to get inundated with a whole lot of email uh, with sales and promotions and all those sort of things. Allow your list to unsubscribe from your promotion, but stay on your list, right? If you're going to send out a week-long campaign over those first two emails, Give them an opt-out of the promotion that you're running, right? Because it could be just a timing thing. They're not ready for it. They don't have the cash, whatever. It could be just, look, I, you know, I'm not focused in on that right now, right? Those sort of things. Don't leave it such that their only option is the full-on unsubscribe because you're going to lose a lot of people. And I see it happen time and time again, especially towards the end of the year. People are just like, look, I, me and you are used to getting lots of email. A lot of people may not be, and 100 emails in one day 
is going to blow somebody's mind up. Right? So give people an option. Don't just bludgeon them over the head and, and leave only one option for them. It's amazing advice. Thanks so much for sharing your wisdom today with us, Jason. That's been great. Where can people f- find more of your work online? Yeah, uh, you could go to nurturekit.co. That's uh, my website. But I'm at res with three Z's on Twitter. And I'm always open to having an engaged conversation there. And I have a YouTube channel uh, for Nurture Kit as well. And that's youtube.nurturekit.co. I've heard you're in the middle of a YouTube challenge. Isn't that right? Yes. Yeah. An insane <laughs> challenge for 90 days posting on YouTube. Yes. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today and have a wonderful rest of your week. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This was awesome. Thanks for listening. If you found the episode useful, please spread the word about this new show on Twitter, mentioning Userlist, or leave us a review on iTunes.